If you haven't met me yet, I am Pastor Luke. I am here this morning to uh, deliver the message. Pastor Mark is on vacation. He will be back tomorrow. Um, so he went to on a lovely cruise, which I'm sure I'll see lots of pictures of and be really jealous. But um, anyway, uh, as Ryan said, Alpha starts tonight um, in the atrium. So if you want to come, please do bring a friend. Um, you also heard about Connections Camp, which is just a couple weeks away. So last week we told you we're getting short on rooms. We did max out. We do have more. So um, we are excited about that. So if you do want to go, please sign up at Connections. Please come talk to me, whatever you need to do. Um, some people have been new, and so they've said, what is Connections Camp? So Connections Camp is a great chance for us to worship, learn, play, share, and connect with God. So we do lots of different things, like we do play ball hockey we might be able to do some, you know, aerobic swimming for Ryan or something, you know, competitive aerobic swimming maybe. Um, we just have a lot of fun. So if you haven't been, uh, if you haven't been, you should try it out. So um, this morning we're going to do a preview of what we're going to learn at Connections Camp. So we're going to do Run the Race Philippians. But if you've ever been to Connections Camp, you know that we never get through all the material. We always pick something that we think, yeah, we can cram all this stuff in. So we decided this year not to do that. We decided to actually just pick four sessions and not try to cram like eight into four. So um, we're going to tackle that this morning because we do want to leave room for swimming, ball hockey, and the famous musical chairs. And if you've never played musical chairs at Connections Camp, at West Meadows it is competitive. There will be children sliding underneath you. There will be older adults pushing you out of the way. Um... All of these things, it is not just a joy, it's not just a nice, easy time. So, we got to make sure we tackle that. So, anyway, uh, so we're going to go through one of the missed topics today. And uh, that's going to be on run the race, contentment in all things. So, we're going to walk through Philippians 4.10 to 23 um, this morning. So, let's uh, take a minute to pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you for allowing us to spend time in your word. I'm just grateful that uh, we can open it up and see what your word has to say to us, help us live lives that uh, glorify you, and uh, that we can learn uh, to be content in all things, Lord, and what that means and what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we begin, when I say the word contentment, what normally comes to your mind? You really feel like your life is normally content? Are you content with it? I think content can be defined as some people might call it peaceful. I'm very content sitting by this lake, right? Or some might say it's adequate or good enough. I wrote this paper, I'm content with it, and I'm turning it in. For our son Jackson, he tells me this. This is his version of contentment. He always says, Dad, of course, when Dad's stressed, he'll go, Dad, just try your best and don't worry about the rest which is very profound for an almost six-year-old. Which is often good for me to kind of realign me towards God, that God is in control and that I am not. Um, so as we dive into our text this morning, there's a question you need to consider that I want you to put in the back of your head. What is Paul's meaning when he uses the word content? We'll get to that in a second, but I want you to think about that as we get into the passage in a second. But first, about being content. It has been said about humans that 
content can be boiled down to this. There's a basic assumption that most of us have about material things. The more we have, the happier we will be. It's pretty common stuff for us to think that more money will improve our quality of life. More stuff we have will make us more content or so we think. So with this vision before us, we run after material gain like the proverbial carrot on a stick. We run faster and faster. We work harder and harder. We save more, invest more, accumulate more, develop our portfolio, only to discover none of this will bring enduring contentment to our lives. We are sure that one more promotion, maybe one more airline upgrade, one more new toy might make us happy. Then when we get to the mirage, it has vanished, and we are discontented, as we were before, but maybe even more so. So like a hamster on the wheel of life, we run faster and faster and faster. In all, we have a deep sense of that contentment is possible. It can be obtained, but we're just not sure how to get there. So this morning, there's three topics we're going to discuss, or three kind of points. We're going to talk about being content and breaking the grip of money, content and exercise is mandatory, and content is contentment actually really possible. So as we dive into our first point, you can turn with me to Philippians 4, chapter 10, and we'll start reading there. So the idea of being content, breaking the grip of money. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is speaking about being content in every situation. He has learned having faced having lots, having hungry, having abundance, having need. It is Christ who brings the contentment. He is confident in God's will. Think of Paul being on a roller coaster of life. You know, maybe he was up here and then you lost everything. You know, maybe for, for people around the world, if you, as an American living in um, 2008, I watched many of my friends go from having lots of money to watching the bank take their house and their cars and everything they had. And Paul speaks of this because your life might not mirror that exactly, but what happens is is that you will have ups and downs. And if that's what you're content with is those ups and downs, that's, that's not where real contentment lies. If your emotions and everything that happens are based on just that stuff, that's not going to give you that inner peace you're looking for. The church at Philippi has sent Paul some money. They are concerned for him. Paul wants them to know why he is thankful for the money. It is not his focus. It is also important to note that there were times where the Philippians wanted to give gifts, where it talks about opportunity, but they didn't because they didn't know there was an opportunity, but Paul knew they cared. And this is why, because Paul was in prison. It takes a while, right? Like, it's not like me saying, oh, Ryan, I know you have need to fix your BMW. We have a joke about this. Um, and so I give him a hundred bucks and uh, I can just walk to him. Like, Paul was a ways away, right? Like, at this point he was in prison, but if you wanted to visit him, right, like, it wasn't going to be a quick jaunt to help Paul out, right? So while, they, while the church at Philippi wanted to help, they didn't always have someone to go, right? 
So why does Paul even speak on this subject? It is an example of how the Philippians have grown in their own faith, being content to let go of their money. Frank Theo puts it this way, Philippians, by their very act of giving, have refused to let their wealth control them. Instead, they took control of their wealth. They have, therefore, taken away its power and refused to allow its sacred status. Paul rejoiced in the Philippians' gift, not because he required it, but because it was a useful step in their own sanctification. The idea of sanctification meaning your growth with God, your growth in God, your trust in God, your walk with God. By giving their money, they demonstrated their their loyalties lay and strengthened their commitment to God, who would supply all that they ultimately needed through the glory in Christ Jesus. So simply put this morning, Philippians had faith. They had faith that they gave this to Paul. God would take care of them. This wasn't out of abundance for them. This was out of obedience. We see Paul using the word content. So let's go back to that question I asked you. What is Paul's meaning when he uses the word content? So the Greek word for content is autarkos, and the word can be used as a verb or an adjective. The verb means to satisfy or content with oneself. So like when we talked about content with oneself, like that paper, you're content with it. You might not be 100% happy with it. You wish it was better, maybe, or, but you're going to turn it in anyway. The adjective meaning means a state of peaceful happiness or satisfaction. In this case, Paul uses the adjective form, in a state of happiness or satisfaction through God. As noted in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ. He knew that it was reliant on Christ, not reliant on him. Scholar William MacDonald put it this way, it is a blessed secret when a believer learns how to carry a high head with an empty stomach. An upright look with an empty pocket, a happy heart with an unpaid salary, joy in God when men are faithless. The application here is about money, but it's not just about money. What else do you give? You have time, you have effort, you might have some really good talents. Are you content? with giving God control in those areas? Or are you wanting to hold on to them? Is there something gripping them? Paul was talking about money, but this grip extends farther. Often in conversations, I ask a question with people when they come meet with me. I say, what does God want you to do? Because oftentimes we know the answer. God tells us to do something you know, whether it's giving of your time or your talents or whatever it might be or a step of faith he's asking you to take. We just don't really want to answer that question. So I asked that question to you this morning. What is God asking you to do? In order, when he asks you that question, it will help you break these grips and bonds that you struggle with. We all have sin we struggle with. We all have issues. It may not just be about money, but what is God asking you to do with that? Our second point this morning is content. Exercise is mandatory. So when we find this in verses 14 to 18. We start, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. So you see why Paul's really indebted to them. He, they were the people that really kind of helped him. Even in Thessalonica. So this shows that, that there was an opportunity. They actually sent someone to Thessalonica when he was there to help him out. You sent help for my needs again. Not that I seek the gift. Paul wants to be clear here. He's not seeking this. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received Ephroditus, uh, the gifts you sent from Ephroditus, the gifts you sent me, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what does this have to do with exercise? How many people think when I say exercise, we're talking about like the treadmill? Okay, I at least got a couple. Well, we kind of are. But, so, a guy named Daniel Taylor, I thought, put it really well. We should give for the same reason we should exercise our bodies. Our muscles are made so that they are best off when forced to work. If you save your muscles by never making them do anything, you will actually hurting them and yourself. You haven't spent any energy. See that pun, Ryan? But strangely, the result is that you have less strength and energy than if you had. Eventually, he claims, you may become like a helpless jellyfish on a beach. I don't know if I go quite that far, but something like this is true of your giving muscles as well. God has made us to be givers. It isn't something we have to do in order to please him, God, as much as it's something we need to do to keep ourselves working properly. We are healthy and whole when we are giving and receiving. Just like our bodies need exercise, so do other parts of our spiritual growth, right? In January, it's January, the gyms are full of people, right? Like, everybody's gung-ho, they're going to go do this gym thing. Um, Everybody's got to get back in shape from all that holiday eating you did that takes like, you know, what, 11 months to get rid of, and then you can start again. So people make New Year's resolutions. Some you guys might have made, some you might have already broken them, who knows? I've never been one to make them because I don't keep them, so you might as well just not make them if you're not going to keep them. But one thing I did do this year is Kelsey and I had a discussion, and I said, one of my goals this year is to amp up my fitness level in my life so that I can be healthy, that kind of thing. I kind of woke up um, in that break between Christmas and New Year's and said, you know, after becoming a father of two kids... And spending a lot of time with pregnancy sympathy eating, which if you don't know what that is, it means that Kelsey eats for two, I eat for two, but I only am one person. So it means that she only gains weight for the baby, and I gain weight because, you know, she's going to have a chocolate bar. I might as well have a whole chocolate bar, right? So after that, I decided, you know, okay, maybe it's time to do this. The problem is, and the point of that we're why we talk about exercise in this relation to this chapter is, like even breaking that grip of money, it's hard. It's not easy. So, and of course, I underestimated, trying to be optimistic, how hard this was going to be. And, uh, you know, I was in good shape in high school and college. You know, I graduated my college degree 11 years ago. Didn't really realize it's been that long. So I remember the first night, this 44-year-old body felt like it got hit by a truck. Because my trainer's not a nice guy. I love him to death. Like, he's a, you know, but he pays, like, he feels satisfaction when I tell him I hate him. 
So that can kind of tell you, because I'm doing all this stuff I've never done before, and like we're working on this core thing, I guess that's the big thing these days, and like I'm like taking these big ropes and like shaking them and all this crazy stuff. And I realize I've never used, some muscles maybe I've never used, but the same goes for our giving muscles though. Your heart isn't going to be joyful and content if you're not exercising the things God wants you to do. For some, it might be giving, losing that grip of money. Maybe it might be giving a meal to someone who needs one. It might be giving someone time to listen. It's hard work. Part of it because we're selfish human beings, right? We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to do what's good for someone else necessarily. We hope we have that heart, but it takes work. You know, you might get that phone call late at night from that friend who's really struggling. And you really don't want to answer it because it's like 2 in the morning. But you do anyway. You exercise those giving muscles. Sacrificially giving money might mean one less Timmy's. Or it might mean one less TV show. Or whatever distraction it is, it might be, you know, Candy Crush on your phone or whatever the new game is that I don't know about. Um, Ultimately, it's what are you not allowing God to control? It might be emotional. It might be my life goes up and down with the way I feel today or with a situation. Just like exercise, as you do it more, it becomes easier and joyful. However, just like exercise, God will ask you to go to the next level once you're done with that, right? Because once you get to a certain level, you go to the gym and you have a trainer, they're not going to say, oh yeah, this is easy for you, we're just going to stop here. They're like, nope, next step. So we continually exercise. So how did the Philippians strengthen those giving muscles? In verse 14 to 16, we see the Philippians and their generosity both in the present and the past, along with sharing with Paul's troubles, being concerned for him. In verse 17, Paul makes an important point that he does not seek the gift. Paul was not interested in gifts that the Philippians had sent for his own advantage, but the Philippians' spiritual advantage. You see, Paul is thankful for the gift that he is more concerned with the spiritual. As we saw in verse 13, that Paul is promising to the Philippians that God will supply their need through Christ. The application here is really this act of giving. Paul rejoiced in the Philippians' gift, not because he required it, because it was a useful step, as we talked about, in their sanctification. And by giving their money for them, that was the step they needed to take. They laid down their loyal, they chose where their loyalties were, they strengthened their commitment to God. So if you've ever heard of Richard Foster, who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, which helps Christians kind of get good discipline in your life in terms of reading and spending time with God and all these other kind of things. He said, anyone with enough money to buy a book is relatively wealthy in the world. And he used it to make the point that whether it's time or money or whatever, are you hoarding it or are you giving it? We are all blessed. So I, so I encourage you to give. Where is God asking you to give? In what way? The third and final point is 
is this contentment idea even possible, right? Is it even possible for us to have contentment? In verses 19 to 23, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. To God our Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with, you, are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with you in spirit. So is contentment possible? In the last two chapters of Philippians, Paul describes that contentment isn't based on self-sufficiency. It isn't based on you and what, you're, what you come up with. It comes in the grateful acceptance of his dependence on God and willing to share those gifts he received with others. His contentment isn't the satisfaction of appetites or the taming of them. His contentment doesn't bring the absence of suffering. It brings the enablement to continue in God's service. I think this is an important point. We think if we are content, we won't have a struggle. We won't worry. We won't, you know, maybe get laid off from our job. We won't whatever. There also might be a blessing on the other side. We might think, well, if we're content, then, you know, if I play the lotto, I'm going to win. That's not where your contentment lies. You may have these things. Paul gave to something bigger and greater than himself. His life had purpose and a significance beyond itself. He was not free of worry, pain, or limitations, but he was content. Both joy and suffering come from us beyond us and are bigger than us. Both, we say, are dependent and can never be complete in ourselves. That salvation and wholeness only come when we admit we're not self-made people. Looking at the passions, Paul contentment rests in the advancement of the gospel. He is so joyful to fight his physical deprivations. Think of that. He's in prison, but he's joyful that this gift came. He even has emotional struggles because fellow believers have caused opposition for him. The Philippians' monetary gift may help address his physical distress, and the presence of a friendly faith in the form of Aphrodite is undoubtedly emotional comfort. But you also have to understand that Paul knows that he can do without both. And if Aphrodite needs to go back to Philippi, he will send him off and wish him well. Paul understands being content as a believer. Paul would say, give generously from our wealth to those in need, whatever that wealth looks like in time, treasure, or talents. Jesus tells us this in Luke 6.13. No servant can serve two masters, for either one he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The world, for an unbelieving world, money takes on divine status these days. It is the God of this age, a God for which many people will sacrifice their happiness, their children, their health, and indeed their own lives for it. An unbelieving world isn't content always got to be more. Even as believers, our focus can shift and not be content. So we have to refocus ourselves. Contentment comes in all areas of a growing, sacrificial, personal relationship with Christ. 
Paul's understanding of being content was in a state of peaceful happiness or satisfaction that comes from Christ alone. So that question, is contentment possible? It is. However, Dave Jacobs puts it this way. Our contentment is in direct proportion to the consistency and meaningfulness of our times alone with God. Are you content? Is God asking you to surrender? How is your alone time? Maybe you're not content because you need that personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe there is a grip of money. Maybe there's a grip of time. Maybe there's something that God is asking you to do. The only way you're going to be content in life is to find it in Jesus and realize that he is your focus. And once you start focusing on something else, you, you have to ask him to help you make your way back because none of those things are going to fulfill you. If you bow your heads with me, and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. Lord, help us to be content people. Help us to know that uh, your son is the only way that we can find in our peace and happiness and contentment. It isn't about stuff or money or um, the things we can do or the things we have things that we let take over, the idols that come in our life that we get obsessed with. Lord, take that away. Break those from us. Help us to be fully content in you. And no matter what happens and if life looks like a roller coaster, just like Paul's life, that we will be content. May we use his example as a model for us to understand that the day-to-day things that happen shouldn't throw our contentment out, Lord, that we should be trusting in you. It might cause us to dig in deeper into your word. It might cause us to press into you more, but may we do that. And may we spend our quiet times with you, Lord. May we make space for that. And ultimately, will that be just uh, something that we can stand before you one day, Lord, and that uh, we're confident that... uh, We've tried our best to uh, follow you well, to learn about what contentment really means. Just love you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of your grace and mercy. We just love you. We rejoice in you today, Lord. In Jesus' name.